even in the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Well, good morning, sleep-in service. It's good to see you guys here during the summer months. And if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Glad that you're here. Been gone for the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we relocated our oldest son and his wife to Raleigh, North Carolina. Had an opportunity to go and experience the South, which was fantastic. And then last weekend, we actually had an opportunity. I got to hug my parents for the first time in a year and a half at Peace Arch Park. And uh, that was really, really cool, too. So welcome to everybody that's here. I want to give a special welcome to everybody online. We actually have a growing group of people from Spokane, Washington, who tune in every single week. So welcome, Spokane. We're glad that you're here. You know, this thing called online church, we kind of stumbled into about 18 months ago, and it has grown in ways that we never dreamed possible. And I want to just tell you about something really cool that's happening after the 1115 service. So we have a lady. Her name is Elaine. And uh, she's been a part of CTK. She's been a part of our church, even though she goes to church in Missouri. Well, she wanted to be baptized in her church. So Elaine and her brother Michael drove all the way from Missouri to here. And after this 1115 service, we're going to get to baptize Elaine. And we are super excited about that. I just think God is doing incredibly good things. Uh, what an honor to be able to be a part of that story. That's so good. Also want to let you know, uh, we're dropping a new podcast this week. Uh, it's called Continuing the Conversation. And pastoring in the 21st century has been a very, very interesting proposition, especially in the last 18 months. So uh, Laurel and I pulled together uh, two very uh, familiar people to you, Pastor Bob Marvel from Cornwall Church, Pastor Paul Peterson from Bellingham Covenant and Hillcrest previous to that. Join us for a conversation it's very raw, it's very unfiltered, and it's incredibly encouraging. So I hope you'll uh, get an opportunity to listen to that as well this coming week. So if you got a Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 this weekend as we continue our series called Look Closer. And Jesus needs us to look closer at what we're going to look at today, so much so he actually shares the same content twice in two different ways. Two different stories at two different times, but with the same principles and the same lessons. Anytime Jesus says something twice, we need to pay attention. So my hope is that our heart, our eyes, and our ears will be completely open today. The first time Jesus shares this particular parable, this particular story, he's in Jericho, and the location actually matters. Right after a little man comes to Jesus, and I'm not sure if it's politically correct to call him a little man anymore, but Zacchaeus was a little man after he comes to Jesus and then goes broke, making his broken life right again, Jesus tells a story. The timing and the location matter because Jesus is in Jericho. He's 15 miles away, not from Jerusalem. No, look closer. Jesus is 15 miles away from betrayal and abandonment and torture and death. 15 miles away from taking the worst of me and you on his perfect sinful soul so that you and I could actually experience forgiveness and live a life that matters. And that matters. <laughs> he tells a story to drive that truth home. The truth that, that you can be forgiven, that you can live a life of purpose, that God's going to put something in your hand that you can leverage for the kingdom. 
That theme matters so much, Jesus actually tells the same content again, second time. First time in, Jeru- in Jericho, second time in Jerusalem. Now he's actually in the place where he's going to be falsely accused and tried and betrayed and abandoned and crucified and buried. Jesus has actually arrived on the spot where he's going to give his life. And we find him right before the story, sitting alone in the Mount of Olives. If you've traveled with me to Israel, you've been on that spot. When you sit in the Mount of Olives, you can actually see, you have a vista viewpoint of the entire city of Jerusalem, and one visual element will stand out to you as you overlook the city. It's graves. Small white boxes full of bones called ossuaries. It's death as far as the eye can see, but where Jesus would have been sitting above all of the funeral crypts and tombs was the temple, the house of God. Don't you love the fact that the house of God always sits above death? That's just good news for all of us today. So Jesus is deep in thought, thinking about what's about to come, and his disciples interrupt him. Hey, Jesus, can we talk about the end of the world? (laughs) What a great topic to bring into that moment, right? Yeah, sure, guys. Okay, let's talk about the end of the world. And then Jesus launches into a conversation in Matthew 24 and 25 that you should read. Personal rant. Instead of watching YouTube videos about the end of the world, you should read what Jesus says about the end times because what Jesus says matters more than anything you can watch on YouTube. Can anyone tell how tired I am of YouTube theology? Can I get an amen from the 1115 sleeping service? Thank you. Read your Bible, all right? Jesus starts off by saying, nobody knows the time or the hour of the end, which means nobody can figure out the time or the hour when the end is coming. So don't waste your time trying to figure something out that you can't figure out. Seven people. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Jesus says that's a mystery, and then he launches into three stories. And we just happen to have about three weeks left in the series, so I'm going to preach them out of order, on purpose, with one possible exception. Laurel and I and another couple from the church are going to go to Belize on August the 23rd to see the restoration home that you have invested so deeply in. We're going there to gain a deeper understanding of the evil of human trafficking. And when we return, we may have to preempt this series for one week because I might have a few things to say about the beautiful gift you've given us because as a church we decided that as far as it depends on us that if God could do something to shatter the evil of human trafficking that we were going to that we were going to stand up and do something about it that we were going to make an eternal investment so we may have to come back and talk about that but for now here comes the story oh hold on one more thing this is all intro by the way can you tell I'm just fired up and it's not coffee I just really love my Bible this morning We're going to run into a word in this story that could be confusing. The word is talent. In our context, talent is something you do that's kind of cool and makes you special, right? Like juggling, breakdancing, solving a Rubik's Cube behind your back, yo-yo tricks, playing an accordion, painting, making one eye go crossed, balancing Excel spreadsheets. Whatever your talent is, is just something that kind of sets you apart. The word talent in this story, in the version I'm going to read to you, is not that kind of talent. This talent was a a monetary weight that could be measured in gold or 
or silver, okay? And there's so many different ways to calculate it. If you go to Google and say, how much is a talent? You're going to get a different answer every single time. So I'm going to put it to you this way. A talent in this story and context was a sum of money, and it was a lot. It was not an insignificant amount, okay? It's kind of like Bitcoin that you could hold in your hand. So think currency when you hear the word talent. Let's get to the Bible. It says in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents, you have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. You have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Let me say that again. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's a dark ending. The story ends in hell. That is not popular, that is not politically correct. But it's a very important warning to all of us that we need to pay attention to and we need to look closer because make no doubt, your eternity matters. My eternity matters. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read the parable at first glance, all I can see is traps. My brain can go in so many different directions. My mind gets caught in some very predictable places that derail my understanding. So before we look closer, let's look at the obvious. I actually put them in your outline today. If you want to find that, it's at info.ctk.church. But I call them the traps of the talents. And the first one is the trap of comparison. I mean, I read this parable and my first thought is, why does that guy get five talents and I always seem to end up with one? Max two, right? Why is it that we're always comparing 
up. Every single time we compare up against another person, we always lose. When we compare up, we always come up short because here's the logical conclusion. God must love those five talent people a whole lot more than he loves us two and one talent people because look at everything that we have and we make the inevitable mistake of boiling everything down to possessions. Can we correct that right now? Let me be so blunt. God doesn't give a rip about stuff. One person said, right, thank you. The rest of you are still to be convinced. Let me say it again. God doesn't care about stuff. You know how I know that? Because he said so. Let me quote God to you. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't fall into the trap of comparing horizontally. You lose every single time. Now, why does God give some disbursements of differing proportions? Well, the Bible says that he equips us with different kinds of abilities. And in that moment, I can get frustrated and go, I can't believe I'm not a five-talent guy. Or I can trust God's discernment and God's disbursements. Don't compare horizontally. Seek wisdom vertically I want you to notice something. If you keep your eyes off the stuff, you're going to notice a key kingdom principle. Everyone in this story gets equal trust and opportunity. Different proportions, but equal trust and equal opportunity. Look at it. It says, a man called his servants and entrusted his, his property to them. Everyone starts off with equal trust and opportunity, which means this. God gave you a life, and he trusts you to make it count. He gave you life and breath today. He wants you to actually use it, not for your glory, but for his glory. You belong to him. Nothing you have is yours. And one day you're going to be called to settle the account. I'm going to be called to settle the account. Here's something we should realize. When I am called to account, you're not going to get to sit on my committee. And I'm not going to get to sit on yours. The three seats will be full. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That should give us a perspective. God wants us to make sure that we're there to settle the account for what he placed in our hand. I love the response of the five bag recipient. It says he went at once and put what was entrusted to him to work and he gained five more. So there it is right there. What will you do with what God has entrusted to you? Don't fall into the trap of immediately thinking about what you own. You'll miss the point. Think about the intangibles. What has God created in you that you could invest in his kingdom? How can you use your story? And can I say something from experience? It doesn't matter if your story is broken or whole. God can use it. How can you use your spiritual gifts, your leadership, your teaching, your hospitality for God's kingdom? Don't fall into the trap of comparison. Secondly, second trap is the trap of misinformation. The story then shifts to the responses, and I love them. The master comes back. He settles accounts. First one brings the following report. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. I gained five more. Listen to the response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's incredible. What do so many of us expect? That's all you got? Five more? Really? You should have at least been able to pull off seven. Come on, people. Let's go. But that's not the response. It's joy. And that's the response twice for the one with five and the one with two. 
God actually gets excited. Thank you for taking what I gave you. Thank you for leveraging that for my kingdom. Come and share your master's happiness. Not your master's critique, your master's happiness. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. Listen to the response of the one who shows up with one talent and nothing else. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting what you have not sown and gathering what you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and hid your talent in the ground. See? See, here's what belongs to you. In fact, God, it, it's really kind of cool. There's even some bonus dirt on it. Like, it's, it's good. I didn't know exactly what to do, so I just dug a hole and I buried it. But at least I brought you back exactly what you put in my hand. What a tragic response. You know, I find this so interesting when I look closer at this. This servant thinks he knows his king, but he doesn't at all. He formed his opinion based on bad information. His wrong information caused a wrong conclusion. Let me tell you how this hits with me. I grew up believing that God was either sad or mad with me all the time. Sad or mad. This was his posture towards me. Crossed arms, furrowed brow, and a slow shaking of the head. Come on, fishbook, get it together. Where did I get that from? I got it from... A, the picture that you get from a really angry God in the Old Testament, here was the problem. I just stopped there and I made a wrong assumption about God. I stopped there and I neglected a correct and balanced view because if you continue to read throughout Old Testament and New Testament, you will begin to understand something about God. Is God a God of justice? Absolutely. He's also a God of joy. Does the anger of God burn against sin? Absolutely. But does the joy of God explode when a sinner repents and comes home? Absolutely. It's justice and joy. It's love and it's passion. Here's an interesting thought. The servant sees his master as this tough taskmaster who harvests where he did not sow and gathered where he did not scatter seed. He sees his master as someone who takes what is not his to take. But he saw it wrong. Here's an interesting thought. There was an Old Testament practice that we actually still do today. Farmers in the Old Testament were challenged to leave the edges of their crops for people who had no food. And then they were invited to come and they did something called gleaning. We still do that today. In fact, our farm has this group led by Ann Campbell that goes out and gleans extra fruit and vegetables. And we bring it to the farm and then we give it all away to people who have a need. This servant assumed that the master was keeping what he gathered from the edges and harvested from other people's fields. He was assuming he was keeping it for himself. What if his opinion of his master was completely wrong? What if the master was actually doing that so that he could give it to the poor and the hungry? Does that change your view of the master in the story? God is not unjust. God is not unfeeling. God is not... Unfair. So what's the key kingdom principle? It's here. It's knowing the truth of your master's character and his posture towards you is essential. God is both just, but he's also generous and joyful. You know how I know that? Look at the first two responses. Well done. Good, faithful servant. Come and share your master's 
happiness. How many of us in the room just need to change our view of God because we've had it wrong maybe our whole life? Let's keep going. Here's another trap. It's the trap of fear. This is how fear sounds when you're holding on to something that God's given you. What, like, what, what if I lose it? What if I, what, what if I make a mistake? What, what, what if I'm never going to be enough? What if I fail with the assignment? What, what, what if? And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but let me say something because I actually believe it. When it comes to the entrustment of God, it's better to have tried and failed than to have not tried at all. Jonas Salk created the first polio vaccine at the University of Pittsburgh. If you think this is a commercial for vaccination, it's not, and you're going to miss the point. The vaccine formulation for polio failed 200 times. 200. Someone asked Dr. Salk, how do you feel about failing 200 times? He answered, I've never failed 200 times in my life. I just discovered 200 ways how to not vaccinate for polio. Once again, it's not about vaccination. It's a commentary on the power of resiliency and risk and using everything that God has given you for his glory, even if it looks like it's a failure in the eyes of the world. Has anyone else noticed that? That success in the eyes of God can often look like failure in the eyes of the world. I actually think it's just God seeing his child learning how to grow and trust. I met John Hall in El Florido, Mexico. If you don't know what El Florido is, El Florido is Tijuana's garbage dump. And we went there to do some ministry, and I met John. John uh, shared his life story with me. And there was a time, John was one of the most successful medical sales insurance people in the entire state of Michigan. He had a humongous house. He told me, he goes, I had a seven-car garage and a different vehicle. And every, he goes, I different, drove a different car to work every day of the week because I could. And when I met John... He was sleeping on the floor of a double-wide trailer in El Florido, Mexico, hosting high school students who were coming to try and make a difference. John said, so many of my friends thought I was, I was nuts to come here. John sold everything he had to go to work for the Center for Student Missions. He said, my friends called me a failure. They couldn't believe that I was taking that big step down in the eyes of the world. When I met John, I thought, oh boy, you're not a failure, my friend. You're a hero, a missionary, a bringer of hope. And I can honestly say I've never met a more joyful person in my life. And in his own words, this is what John said. He said, Grant, God calls us all to different purposes. Not everyone is called to this, what I've done. But I can tell you this, before my purpose was missing I had everything, but, but my life, my soul was empty. He goes, now it appears my life is empty, but my soul is full. He risked it all. And God gave him so much more in return. You know, I read this parable and I come away with one conclusion. I would rather try and try again than have to stand before God and explain that I did nothing because I was afraid to do anything. The servant said he was actually afraid. Let me quote him again. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. That phrase just struck with me. I hid your talent in the ground. I buried what you gave me in the ground of the world. What an incredible, incredible waste. Let me say this, anything that God gives you that you bury in the ground of the world will come back empty. Anything you invest in the ground of God's kingdom will always come back with a huge 
eternal return. So let's learn two principles together. First one is this. Fear drives you into the world. Faith drives you out of it. Fear drives you to work with worldly standards and worldly pressure. You become addicted to gathering more and more and more because you're afraid you're never going to have enough. And the truth is, if you think you'll never have enough, you never will. You know, God has a name for people like that. We learned it in Brian Steele's sermon. It's a name that makes us uncomfortable, but I believe God calls that name out because he loves us and wants us to choose something better. He calls people who get addicted in the game of more... He calls them fools. Second key kingdom principle, <laughs> don't be a fool, and in God's kingdom, risk is greater than security. I mean, when was the last time you took a spiritual risk? When was the last time you stepped out in faith? When was the last time you made a soul investment in the kingdom and experienced that when we make those kinds of investments, God always comes through. It's so important to notice this. God didn't expect the one bad guy to come up with 10. He just expected him to work with what God had given him. It's not the size of the bag. It's the size of the step of faith. Let me say that again. It's not the size of the bag. It's the size of the step of faith. 26 years ago, Laurel and I moved to Washington State from Steinbach, Manitoba, Canada. That was a giant step of faith for us. We left our friend, we left friends, we left our family, we left a church that we loved. We came to a new country with new systems. I mean, it was new everything. In Canada, we had coffee with milk or sugar. In the first week, I had to ask, what's a mocha? What's a latte? And why are all of your coffee shops in little tiny buildings on every single street corner in every single community? Like, I don't understand the whole system. We left so many things, and we arrived here, new people, new church, and a new baby. And some people would say, why did you do that? Because God put a mission in our hand. The mission to bring people who were far from God to Jesus, to the Jesus who was not sad or mad all of the time, no, to a gracious master who loves his servants so much that he actually gave his life to pay a sin debt that none of us could pay off on our own. God's placed something in your hand. Will you bury it? Or will you use it? Will you focus on the size of the bag or the size of the step? I see another trap here. It's the trap of regret. The the first two servants, they take their master's property, equal trust and opportunity, and they end up with no regrets. The final servant ends up with nothing but regret. Actually, eternal regret, according to the story. And once again, it's uncomfortable, but the story ends in hell, and people don't like it when I talk about hell, but the reason I talk about hell is because it gives you an opportunity to talk about God's eternal alternative. That's worth talking about. Instead of eternity without God, you actually can live a life of purpose, investing in God's kingdom, not settling for the temporary, but focusing on the eternal nature and reward of this amazing place called heaven where there are no tears, no cancer, no separation, no injustice, no pain, no hurt. Just God and his people. 
Let's not miss the kingdom principle. Before we get there, God has an expectation that you're going to use what you've been given. So there's all kinds of assumptions I could make about what people know when they're in the room and on the other end of that camera, but I'm not going to make any assumptions today. So I know many of you have heard me say these things before. I think they're worth repeating because Jesus repeated this story in two different places. Two very different plot twists, but two very similar truths. So if you've heard me say it before, let me say it again, and maybe this time it'll stick. It's not your life. That breath you just took was borrowed from the king of kings. He signed off on it before you even took it in and let it back out again. It's not your property. It all belongs to him. Your house is not your house. It was, buried, it was built on the sacred ground of what God created It's not your talent, it's not your money, it's not your anything, it's not mine either. It's a temporary trust because we are all accountable stewards who've been given the greatest gift of all, a relationship with Jesus, to share and multiply that with other people for the glory of the king so they don't get stuck in the temporary and can spend the rest of eternity with him. So let's let's just get right Let's get right down to it today. What has God put in your hand? Please don't make the mistake of starting to list off all the things that you own. They're not yours. Look closer. Can we go a little deeper today? What has God put in your hand? You know, the truth is for some of you, you you look at your hand and all you can see is a broken relationship. And you've defined yourself by that for so long. Boy, have I got news for you. God doesn't define you that way. You shouldn't define yourself that way either. And what if the God of heaven could take that bad memory and all of that pain of that broken relationship and what if he could use that in the life of somebody else and what if you could actually show them what it takes to be in a healthy relationship I don't know about you but I've got a God that just seems to have an incredible knack when it comes to redefining reinventing and renewing something that appears to be broken for some of you God has placed great resources Have you ever considered investing them in the kingdom so that someone else can experience the same relationship with Jesus that you have? No, it's okay, Grant. I think I'm just going to go bury it in the ground. What a waste. For some of you, maybe you're like me, God placed in your hand an experience that brought you to a wrong picture of God. You could stay there and get stuck there a bit. What if you could spend the rest of your life telling stories to help people create a right picture of God? What God has placed in your hand is not insignificant, and I don't care if it's five, two, or one. All I know is this. Eight bags of God's sacred trust could change the world if we just all decided I'm not burying it. 
I'm going to use what God has entrusted to me. Whether it's beautiful or whether it's broken, but I'm going to leverage it for his kingdom and his glory and his honor and his accolade. Because I don't want to be stuck in the trap of fear or regret or comparison. No, I just want to make what he gave me count. Let's do something crazy. Let's invite Jesus to have a personal conversation with each and every one of us right now. That sounds cool, right? Some of you are like, Jesus can do that? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, he loves to do that. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back and join me in. You know, I'm grateful that they're using what God has placed in their hand. I mean, years ago, God handed Andy a drum kit and, drum, uh, drum kit and a guitar. And he uses them both at the same time. It's kind of crazy. In case you're wondering, Andy doesn't play this so that you go, wow, Andy, you're awesome. Andy plays that so you go, oh, Jesus is awesome. And Olga sings and Mark plays because that's what God has called them to do. That's what God placed them in their hands so they use it. And none of us can do this alone. In fact, right now, even though our, our main, pro oh, the projector came back on. We thought it exploded. That was crazy. Okay. I got a message in the back. It died. I'm like, okay, finally. I'm going to have to get something new. Now it's back. Awesome. That doesn't even show up unless Kel hits buttons in the back. I don't know what the buttons do. And you can't hear me. I could yell at you three services in a row and have no voice all weekend long. Thank God for someone who has a skill, a talent like Kel has in the back to know which buttons to hit so you can hear me and I can have a voice on Monday morning. I'm thankful for that. And the people that are watching right now, you couldn't watch unless Scott was using the time that God had placed in his hand to be able to volunteer. Scott volunteers to be on the camera so the people in Spokane and Malaysia and Singapore and wherever else they're watching are, are able to watch that. And, and there's a lady in the background name Selena I mean um, I mean if Selena decided right now she's in charge of the lights if she goes Grant's done she hits a button everything goes dark and you go home but so far she's hung with me for three services and I'm grateful didn't see this coming this is off script it doesn't matter I've got a friend here today his name's Norm God put the, the, the gift of encouragement in his hand. And Norm is the most incredible person because he opens up that little bag and he's like, here, you have some encouragement, and you have some encouragement, and you have some encouragement. He keeps telling me, Grant, dream bigger than you've ever dreamed before. Like, come on, let's dream about the possibilities. God's this big. And I'm so grateful that he didn't bury it and keep it to himself. Worship team, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I hear a door clicking. That's awesome. I went a little faster this service, so I probably caught them off guard. There they come. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's incredible. There they are. There it goes. Awesome. That's great. They never know how long or short I'm going to go, so they're backstage. Like, I think he's done. I don't know for sure. <laughs> So, I'm wondering if you do something with me. Would, would you be willing to just hold your hand out right now? Just hold it right in front of you. It's okay. 
And I'm actually going to ask you to enter into a moment of prayer. And if you've never asked the question before, I would love for you to think a little deeper and look a little closer and just, and just ask Jesus the question in a moment. God, what have, what have you put in my hand? We'll get to how you're going to use it in just a minute, but what's in your hand? Don't think about the obvious. It's, it's so easy to just put stuff there. You are more than your stuff. So what's in your hand? Like I talked about, some of you have relationships. And God wants you to use the broken ones and the, and the whole ones to help other people find wholeness in relationship. For some of you, God, God, God put an experience there. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was broken, maybe it was beautiful, but, but God can use them. For some of you, God did place a skill there, a certain skill set, but you've never used it for him. Oh, you've used it for you, but you've never used it for him. What if you did? Some of you have a handful of tears, and that's hard. <laughs> Can I tell you something about the tears that you cry? They're so precious to God. The Bible says he collects them. It keeps them close to his heart. What if the tears could water the ground of someone else's heartbreak and allow them to find the wholeness that you found in Jesus? Some of you have been given the, the talent of, of time. And you need to use it now more than ever. For some of you, it's the gift of being able to listen. For some of you, it's, it's even learning the wisdom of your failures and being able to pass those on so other people don't, don't waste their time making the same mistakes that you did. For some of you, you've been given an incredible trust, but you've never leveraged it for him. Some of you have so much wisdom, but you've never, ever shared it. You just bury it. Some of you have in your hand right now hope and godly concern and resources. Some of you actually for the first time are seeing God the right way. And when you see God the right way, you begin to see yourself the right way. And I'll tell you what, if you could share with the rest of the family your authentic identity in Jesus and the gifts he's placed in you, oh, how rich we would be. Let's pray together. Father God, for everyone in the room who's holding their hands out right now, I pray that you would show them what you've placed in their hand. God, for every person here who, whose hand is open but all they see is something empty, God, I pray that you would fill it right now with a gift that could only come from you. God, help them to see it Help them to feel the weight of it as you place it there in a sacred trust. And God, may they, may they not compare or live in fear or live in regret. God, may they think right now. May they, may they purpose in their heart right now. God, what you've given to me, I'm going, I'm going to use. I'm going to multiply it with your strength for the sake of the kingdom. So whatever it is that God has given to you, I'd like to, 
I'd like to read you some song lyrics as we're in an attitude of prayer and everyone has their eyes closed, their head bowed and their hand outstretched. I'd like to read you some, some song lyrics that for me, in a moment when, when I felt God placed something in my hands, it changed the direction of my life forever. Thorns on his head and a spear in his side. And yet it was a heartache that made him cry. He gave his life so that you would understand. Is there any way you could say no to this man? If Christ himself were standing here, his face full of glory and his eyes full of tears, and he held out his arms and his nail-printed hands, is there any way you could say no to this man? How could you look in his tear-stained eyes knowing that it's you he's thinking of? Could you tell him you're not ready now to give him your life? Could you say that you don't think you need his love? Well, Jesus is here with his arms open wide. You can see him with your heart. If you'll stop looking with your eyes, he's left it up to you. He's done all that he can. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Father God, we come today with two questions. What have you put in our hand and how can we use it for your kingdom and your glory? God, we rebuke the enemy of fear. We reject the enemy of regret. We simply refuse to compare. And instead we ask, God, help us be humble servants who make the most of your sacred trust so that one day we can hear, well done, well done. Come and share your master's happiness. And we pray these things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said,